Anything else? All righty. All righty. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 6, and we've been looking forward to this lesson, heading for this lesson, and uh, so looking forward to what the Lord has for us. I will say, pray for me this evening. Uh, sometimes I'm, I, I don't know if the devil's fighting me or if the Lord's trying to teach me or what, um, but I was working on this lesson, and uh, I ran home to get some supper, and I had a few more things I wanted to do uh, on the lesson. I hadn't printed it yet, and so while I was waiting on Melissa to finish supper up, I was sitting there working on it. Well, she got supper ready. I left it sitting on the counter, went and ate supper. And when I came back over to get my computer after supper, I realized it had died. The battery had run dead on it, which wasn't a big deal. I brought it here to church and plugged it in, and everything was gone. So... Um, <laughs> So uh, I sat down for about 15 minutes in my office, and uh, yeah, we'll see how we do tonight. <laughs> um, so Y'all pray for me uh, that the Lord just bless as we go through this. It is, uh, I guess we'll find out how much I retain in my study <laughs> and, uh, as we go through this lesson this evening. But uh, we're looking at chapter number six and looking at the continued degeneration of mankind, the continued fall of man. We looked in Genesis chapter number 4, Genesis chapter number 5, we've seen how man has steadily been going away from God. Man has been heading towards judgment. We've seen how that the judgment had been prophesied uh, at the that this is coming, judgment is coming. We looked at the Methuselah's name and how Methuselah's name contained a prophecy that judgment was coming. And so God was coming nearer and nearer to judgment. And the closer he got to judgment, uh, the closer we were coming uh, or, or the worse that man was becoming. The closer we got to judgment, the worse man was becoming in their behavior. And we know that the Lord Jesus said that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. And we look at what's going on here in Genesis heading up towards the flood and we realize that this is the same thing that's taking place in our day and we can see many similarities as how mankind was degenerating in that day, we are degenerating today. And so as we look at this, it's very interesting to understand what is taking place in the passages, but the application for us is understanding how this applies to where we're living at today. But when we come to chapter number 6, and the reason that we've been looking forward to chapter number 6, is that chapter number 6 contains probably one of the most controversial passages of Scripture that's in the Word of God. Uh, uh, there are pages and pages and pages that have been written about chapter number 6, particularly verse number 2. Uh, there has been hours and hours and hours spent uh, by Bible scholars, theologians, uh, who have uh, taken time to break this verse down, to look at all the verses that may compare to it, to look at all the possibilities. And hours and hours of study have been spent on this passage of Scripture. And so tonight as we look at this passage, I will be sharing with you what I believe Genesis chapter number 6 is talking about. I'll be sharing with you what I believe the Bible is teaching here, but I will say uh, on my shelf, I've got uh, multiple commentaries uh, that I refer to. I've got more commentaries online, and they're pretty much split down the middle uh, on this opinion. Some go one way, some go another. And I, I would be foolish to be dogmatic and say 100% without a doubt I am correct. Now, I am dogmatic on this is what I believe. 
But I believe it would be disrespectful of me to say about these other men who were men of God, who believed the Word of God, who counted the Word of God precious just as I do, who had put hours of study into it and came up with another conclusion. Uh, so in no means tonight am I trying to disrespect uh, those who may have different opinions. I, I've never talked to Brother Rick about this. He and I might have different opinions on what chapter 6 is talking about. No, mean, no way whatsoever am I trying to disrespect, but I believe it's important as a student of the Word of God that we study the Word of God and we find what we believe the Bible is teaching and we stay to it. Now, I'm not saying that we can vary off into all sorts of our own doctrines. There's foundational truths that are clear in the Word of God. But there are passages such as this that both interpretations that I'll be looking at tonight, the people who give these interpretations back their interpretations up with passages of Scripture. So in a case like this, I don't believe there is any reason that I should be belligerent or divide company with someone because they see this passage of Scripture differently. But I think it is important that we look at it, and I do believe that my opinion is right, and I do believe that whenever we look at how I explain this passage of Scripture, we'll see that I believe it fits very well into what the Lord Jesus Christ said about as in the days of Noah. Whereas if we go the other way, it really doesn't fit into that. But we'll be looking at that um, this evening. So let's read Genesis chapter number 6 and we'll start our reading in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's go in the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that, Father, we can look into your word, we can understand your word, and Father, through your word, oh, Lord, we can find truths that help us, oh, Lord, to be the Christians we ought to be. We can find truths that help us to understand the day in which we live. We can find principles, Lord, that help us to know how to navigate our life, and Lord, how to find the best life. And now, Fathers, we look at this passage of Scripture this evening. I pray to Lord as we look at uh, the parts that have been controversial over time, uh, Lord, that you will help us to find a clear understanding. And then, Lord, as we make application, uh, Lord, to how this applies to our day, I pray to Father, Lord, that it will help us to understand uh, what is going on and, Father, Lord, what we can expect in the future. And, Father, we'll thank you for it. I pray to Lord that you will bless uh, with the children's services downstairs. I pray you be with Aiden as he teaches the children. I pray for the teen service be a pastor Kent as he is teaching them. And Father, I pray that you'll bless up here as we look at your word. Thank you, dear Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In this passage of Scripture, as I said a moment ago, the main point of confusion is the identity 
of the sons of God that we see in verse number 2 and then also uh, the giants and the mighty men of renown that we see in verse number 4. And so this is where uh, there is some confusion. And the main confusion is who are these sons of God? Who, who are they and uh, where did they come from and what exactly is going on here? There are two theories concerning this passage of Scripture. The first theory is that the sons of God are fallen angels who intermarried with humans. And this is, as I said, the commentaries that I refer to of men that I respect and look up to, uh, they're pretty much split. About half of them would believe this. I actually have two commentaries uh, that I looked at today and uh, neither of them would say what they believed. They just, they just said, here's the two views, pick one. Uh, but they're very divided. But this opinion that these sons of God were fallen angels uh, who were marrying humans. Uh, uh, there are several considerations when we look at this view, several things that we can consider. The, we see that um, one thing that leads people to think that this was uh, angels uh, intermarrying with people uh, is in verse number 4 where it says that there were giants in the earth. Uh, and then it says that also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And so when we look at this, we see uh, that the, uh, the conclusion is that because uh, the people were bearing giants uh, and because these giants were mighty men of renown, in other words, uh, uh, they were people of great stature uh, with untold wisdom is the conclusion that's coming to, that there had to be an extra human input in order to produce these people. And so we conclude uh, that there must have been uh, some angelic influence, something extra human in order for this to have happened. Another consideration is found when we compare uh, the book of Jude. <clears throat> the book of Jude chapter number 1 and verse number 6. Uh, Jude here is talking and in the book of Jude, Jude mentions uh, some angels and he said, the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. So we see here that there were some angels who did not stay where they belonged. They left their habitation and because of this, uh, they are, uh, the Bible says they are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment. And so there are some angels who are being reserved for judgment because they left their habitation. And many people compare Jude 1.6 with this account in Genesis and say here Jude is talking about the angels that came and sinned with mankind. Also, you can look at 2 Peter chapter number 2 uh, verses 4 through 6 and we see that the Bible says there in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse number 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Again, we see here that there are some angels who sinned and because of this sin, uh, God has delivered them into chains of darkness and reserved them unto judgment. And so again, we look at Second Peter, we look at Jude, and we look at Genesis, and it seems that there had to be something extra human going on here. And we make the conclusion that this must have been 
angels who came down from heaven and intermarried with mankind, and that is what is taking place. And of course, also... Uh, folks will say that when we look at the book of Genesis, uh, we see that mankind has been sinning, that there must have been something out of the ordinary or a sin of a great degree that caused God to bring the flood because uh, man had been sinning anyway. So, so why would um, just uh, people marrying one another expedite the judgment? There had to be something of a great degree that has taken place here. And so we... We see that there's people who look at this and they say that this resulted in this combination resulted in some half angel, half human, giant philosophers, some some really extraordinary people. And many people will try to link this uh, with mythology. They say that all mythology must have a root somewhere. And when we think of uh, Greek gods or uh, people, you know, great men of the of mythology such as Hercules or people like this. They're like, this is this myth is built on an actual person who lived who was one of these giants that was the result of angels and man coming together. However, there's a lot of theories with this problem. Uh, or a lot of problems with this theory. A lot of problems with this theory. There's a lot of things here that um, doesn't work out. First of all, there is no natural way to come to this conclusion within the scope of the text. You've been studying with me as we've went through chapter number 4 and we went through chapter number 5 and we've been looking at mankind. We've been looking at the godly line of Seth, the ungodly line of Cain. We've looked at the degeneration of mankind and we've come up here to chapter number 6 and reading, continuing from chapter number 5 into chapter number 6 within the context Angels coming down from heaven and intermarrying with men does not fit with the flow of the context. The flow of the context is that men are continually getting worse. Men are continually leaving God. Men are continually sinning. And so we see here that when we come to chapter number 6, we see that the same thing continues, that men are getting worse. There's no natural way to come to this conclusion inside the text. Um, not only that, uh, there is nothing in verse number 4 that indicates that the giants are a result of this relationship. Nothing whatsoever in verse number 4. You see here, if we could just read the passage starting in verse number 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also, after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. There is nothing in verse number 4 that indicates that the giants were a result of this conception. As a matter of fact, the verse number 4 pretty much says they weren't a part of this conception because it says there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, there were giants. After that, the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. So the giants existed before this relationship took place. Now, if you understand this passage and you look at this passage and you understand much of the Genesis that we've looked at so far, even Genesis chapter number 1 and Genesis chapter number 2, Genesis chapter number 1 gives us the creation account. 
Genesis chapter number 2 goes back and overlaps. And all the way through here we have seen overlap, going back and explaining further, going back and explaining further. What we have here in chapter number 6, we just finished chapter number 5 that showed us the line of Seth and the line of Cain. Now we focused in chapter number 5 on Enoch and Lamech. Then we went through the end. And now we see in chapter number 6 that we are backing up and we're giving a more fuller picture of what life was like. Uh, many people think that chapter number 6 would go back to the time of Enoch and Lamech, the seventh from Adam, and it tells us the condition of the world at this time. And so when we look at that, we realize that what verse number 4 is saying is here's what was going on. Sons of God were marrying the daughters of men. Giants were in the land. People were going away from God. We're just getting an overall scope of what is going on. There's nothing in this passage that indicates that the giants were a result of this relationship. But let's say that I'm wrong and I'm misinterpreting verse number 4 and that the giants were a part of the relationship. Well, we run into a problem. And here's the problem. If these giants were a result of this angel-human relationship, and that's how we got the giants, was angels intermarried with humans, this is how we get the giants. Well, in just a few verses, we're going to have a flood. And in the flood, all these people are going to die. Noah was not a giant. He was not a descendant of, of this angel-human relationship. And the only people that survived was Noah and his family, Yet in Numbers, chapter number 13, we read the account of when 12 spies went into the land of Canaan. And they were going to spy out the land and see, you know, if this was something that they could overtake. You remember the story. They came back. Joshua and Caleb thought that they could defeat the land. But 10 other spies said, no, we can't go. And what was the reason that they didn't want to go into Canaan? There were giants in the land. So... If angels and humans intermarrying is what produced giants in Genesis, then where did them giants come from in the book of Numbers? They, they, it doesn't work. They would have died in the flood. And so we see that when we look at this, the verse number 4 never states that the giants were a result of this relationship. And whenever we consider what took place, whenever they went in and scouted out the land of and Canaan, and that there were still giants in the land, and we have other records of giants throughout the Word of God. This didn't have anything to do with an extra-human relationship. I didn't bring my Warren Wearsby book out with me. I have here to read from Warren Wearsby, but I didn't bring it with me. So let me see here if I can remember what Warren Wearsby said. Warren Wearsby uh, had written it out really well. I was just going to read what he said so y'all could... Uh, he made more sense than I will. But... Um, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, Jesus said that in the resurrection that we neither marry nor are given in marriage but will be as the angels in heaven. Also, Paul in the book of Corinthians uh, speaks of bodies terrestrial and bodies celestial, speaking of spirit beings and earthly beings. Paul makes it clear that they're separate. They, they can't be united. Jesus makes it clear that when we go to heaven, we'll no longer partake in marriage because we will be as angels which cannot partake in marriage. The Bible teaches us that angels don't reproduce. Angels don't have the ability to reproduce. They don't have the capability to do that. Now, I do know that when angels have appeared here on earth, we have the account of when the angels appeared unto Lot there in Sodom. 
whenever they were delivering Lot out of Sodom before it was destroyed, they looked like men. The Bible teaches us that there will be times when angels will make appearances on earth and they will look like a man. But that does not mean that they are a man. They just have taken on the appearance of a man. Angels do not have the capability to reproduce. Also, and this is just my own uh, theory, is now I live here on earth and I think my wife is the most beautiful thing in the world. But I have a hard time believing if I lived in heaven that there would be anything on this earth that would attract me to leave. The devil left heaven and came down here not because he wanted to, but because he was thrown out. He was trying to exalt himself to a higher position in heaven. There was nothing on earth that attracted him. He was kicked out as a punishment. I find it hard to believe in my hillbilly way of thinking that there were angels dwelling in heaven in all of that bliss who would have left that to come to an earth that had already fallen under the curse of sin. I just can't believe there would have been anything down here that would have attracted them. Now, I didn't find any commentators that said that. That's just my commentary. I just can't figure how they would have wanted to do that. So there's, there's a lot of problems with this theory and, and we could go into much more depth of problems with this theory concerning angels marrying men, but I believe you see some easy problems right off the bat. The second viewpoint and the one that I hold is that this passage is speaking of the demoralization and falling away of the godly. That's what this passage is talking about. Now if you remember in chapter number 5, we saw the ungodly line of Cain. We saw Lamech and how that he, had, he was a murderer. He was a polygamist. He was going away from God. We saw Enoch who walked with God to such a degree that God took him. And, and so we see that there were two distinct lines. Now, let me make this cl clarification. I do not believe that this means that every person in the line of Seth was a follower of God, nor do I believe this means that every person in the line of Cain uh, had went away from God. But I think as a whole, the line of Seth were people who followed God. The line of Cain were people who had rejected God. Just the same as we see uh, in, in our world today, uh, we see the church, and the church is the uh, emblem that represents God, but not every person in the church is necessarily a follower of God. And we see folks in the world who may not participate in a church worship service the way that we do, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are all wicked heathens either. So, But as a whole, the line of Seth was a godly line. The line of Cain was an ungodly line. This is what we have seen all the way through coming up to chapter number 6. But when we come to chapter number 6, we see that something began to take place. It says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and this is why we say that this is an overlap, because men been multiplying for a while already. So this is an overlap. This is going back. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, some would interpret this to mean that men from the line of Seth began to marry women from the line of Cain. And I think that that is a, a good basic uh, truth of what's going on here. But I believe if we could put this more practically, I believe what we see happening here is followers of God began to marry 
people who did not follow God. Not necessarily the line of Seth marrying into the line of Cain, although I think that's what happened. More, more specifically, followers of God began to leave the principles of God to pursue their own fleshly desires. And we see that not only was it a problem that the sons of God began to marry uh, ungodly women, but we see here that it says, and they took them wives of all which they chose. We remember Lamech was a polygamist. We see here what I believe is that they began as a whole to leave the principles of God regarding the holiness of marriage and began taking multiple wives and many wives and, and it didn't matter uh, if they were godly or ungodly. They just began to hoard wives unto them and began to live in sexual uh, freedom and just they, they abandoned the laws of God. And I believe this is what we see taking place right here. Now, uh, there's some spiritual application that we can see here. Uh, first of all, I believe that we see a widespread moral decline taking place in the world. A widespread moral decline taking place in the world. Now, coming up to this point, we have seen the world steadily getting worse. But in chapter number 5, we still saw, our last lesson looked at the four prophets. We saw that there was a strong witness for God, although the world was going away from God. But when we come to chapter number 6, something changed. And boy, I'm telling you, as I looked at this, Brother Rick, I'm like, my goodness, is this not where we're at in our world today? Because for generations... Our country, our world has been going away from God, but there's been a strong gospel witness. It may have been resisted, it may have not been appreciated, but it was there. But here in chapter number 6, we see the light. We see the gospel witness. We see the godly line beginning to deteriorate. The godly line begins to intermingle with the ungodly and the godly line begins to lose its identity as a gospel light and the world begins to decline faster than ever before. When I look at our world today, I see a world that has steadily been going away from God for centuries, but in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I have seen the godly step down from the Word of God. I have seen them step down from the truths that the church has held for centuries. I've seen them step down from things that the church stood for. I've seen them begin to accept things that the Bible clearly speaks against. And the church has begun to intermingle with the world and the, the, the degeneration of our world has taken off at an unbelievable speed. That's exactly what's taken place here in chapter number 6. Those who say that this had to be angels marrying men because it had to be a sin of great degree, well, I think there's a sin of great degree here because the godly people quit being godly. The godly light quit standing for the truth. The godly quit standing. You find out when we get to the flood, there was nobody left but Noah and his family. There was a widespread moral decline. And boy, I'm telling you, when I look at the church and I see how the church uh, is accepting uh, homosexuality, I see how the church is accepting uh, all this agenda that's being pushed, I see how the church is trying to um, 
trying to explain away sins and justify sins. The church is holding hands with the world. The church has seen the daughters of men. The church has seen the appeal of the world and they have allowed themselves to be attracted to it. They have went to it. And in my lifetime, in my lifetime, the church and the world as a whole has declined morally at a rapid space. The last five years is unbelievable what has taken place in our world. Things that we knew were on the horizon but didn't think we would ever really see, they're happening. And the reason it's happening is because the church has married into the world. Here in chapter number 6, the church married into the world. And when that began to happen, I'm telling you, the world began to fall apart. The godly remnant began abandoning the principles of God to satisfy fleshly desires. I have three things here that we see that took place. First, we see that they yielded to the lust of the eyes. They yielded to the lust of the eyes. It says there in verse number 2 that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They left all biblical reasoning and began to base their decisions on fleshly what they could see. This is the, the lust of the eye. They yielded to the lust of the eye. But why did they yield to the lust of the eye? To feed the lust of the flesh and took them wives of all which they chose. They looked at the daughters of men. They saw that they were attractive. And then they took wives of all which they chose without any, without any hesitation, without any thinking, without any consideration. They just took them to feed the lust of the flesh. And why did they do this? In pursuit of the pride of life in pursuit of the pride of life. The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. The devil always has and always will use the same three tricks. It's what's in his tackle box. We went, uh, went fishing Saturday morning, well, Saturday mid-morning. Uh, myself and my family and Aiden and Danielle, uh, we went up here to... Um, to Buena Vista there by the wayside. I figured we'd try to catch a few fish and uh, eat us a picnic. And so we went up there and we were fishing and we weren't really catching anything. And I told, uh, I told um, Aiden I had a, uh, a rubber worm and I said, try this one. It might work. I said, boy, I'm telling you what we really need is a pure boy special. He said, what's a pure boy special? I said, it's a lure they sell at Dominion. It looks like a real night crawler. And I'm telling you what, if they won't bite nothing else, if you're fishing in a river, they'll hit a pier boy special. You can always catch something on a pier boy special. Well, here's the illustration. The devil's got all kind of things he throws out. And he'll give you opportunity on all kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, he's going to throw the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in front of you. And if he can't get you to bite in on anything else, He'll get you to bite on those. It is the lures he goes back to over and over and over again. And you'd think that we'd wise up to that, wouldn't you? You would think that we'd figure that out. But boy, I'm telling you what, he uses them successfully over and over and over. The next thing that we see that took place here uh, in the spiritual application, uh, we see not only did they yield to the lust of the eyes, and uh, we see also that there was a lack of godly influence on future generations. And this is another thing that, boy, I see it happening in our day. 
It says, And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, as I said, those that believe this is angels and humans say that that's what happened and that these men were of, of an extra intelligence. But if you look at this verse, it doesn't say that they had any extra intelligence. It just says they became leaders. It says that they became men of influence. What are we seeing here? We are seeing that the godly line intermarried with the ungodly line. When they did that, the godly influence was at least half what it should have been. Most likely, it was nearly non-existent because the godly had walked away from their principles to do this, to intermarry with the ungodly line. So they had all but abandoned their godly principles. And now they're married to someone that has no godly principles and they are raising children. Boy, I'm telling you what, you look at our world today and you see people who were raised by godly parents, but they never really bought into it. And then they go out into the world Yes, they, they know a little bit about God. Yes, they went to Sunday school until they were 12. They, they, they know a little bit about God, but they never really bought into it. Yes, they're from the church, but they go out into the world and they find an ungodly person that has nothing to do with God and they marry. That little bit of godly influence that they have is all but non-existent in the home. There may be a few things that they hold special. They may, you know, want to speak well of their Sunday school teacher or maybe they keep a Bible on the bookshelf. But the godly influence is all but non-existent. And then that couple begins to raise children. And those children have no godly influence in their life at all. What little bit may trickle in is not enough really to affect them. They have no godly influence. And when that third generation becomes an adult and that third generation finds a place of leadership or that third generation is put in a place of influence, that third generation will not do anything to direct the people under their influence towards God. What do we see taking place right here? We see the sons of God. All right, so these are sons from the line of Seth who were raised by godly parents but they walked away from what their parents had taught them and they married the daughters of men. They married into the ungodly line of Cain. No godly influence in this home now. Very, very little godly influence. And they bear children. And the same, these children that they bear became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. These children that had no godly influence in their life whatsoever became the leaders. They became the authorities. They became the ones who were over the cities. They became the mayors and the governors. And they had no moral compass at all. You look at the world in which we live today. We have a generation of people stepping into leadership positions who if you go back two, three, four generations had godly influences in their life but they are stepping into leadership positions and they have no moral compass whatsoever. No mind towards God. And let me tell you, things have picked up the last five years. 
They're going to keep on picking up. They're going to keep gaining speed because we have a lack of godly influence on future generations. This ought to tell us two things. One, it ought to tell us that we've, we need to step up our influence on the next generation. It's why I preach it and preach it and preach it. We've got to invest in the next generation. But this also lets us know, brethren, we're coming to the end. It's about over here. It's about over. So as it was in the days of Noah. Not only that, uh, we see a worldwide apostasy. The Bible says in verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Two generations back, we had a godly line. Now, the Bible says that God looked at the earth and he said the thoughts of everybody everywhere is only evil continually. The world has declined. And then we see the initiation of the last days. In verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Boy, I'm telling you what, I love this last sentence. You remember in chapter number 5 we looked at Methuselah? Methuselah's name means when he dies, then the judgment, and he lived for 969 years, showing God's continual mercy. Here we see in verse number 3 that God said, this has gotten worse, it's terrible, I'm not going to put up with man anymore, yet I'm going to give him 120 more years. I'm telling you what, the mercy of God continually over and over and over. God says they are done, they are finished, I am through with them. I'm giving them 120 more years. You know what, you and I look at the world around us and honestly there is no prophecy that needs to take place in order for God to come back. He could come back right now, any minute. And we look at the world around us, we look at the condition of the world, we look at all that is going on and sometimes we'll ask the question, why don't he just come back? Right here. He's saying, I'm done with man, but I'll give him another hundred years. You know why? Because the heartbeat of God is that man would repent and come to him. That is his heartbeat. And he will continually extend the hand of mercy. But then in verse number 8, we see the faithful remnant. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When it came down to the day of judgment, there was still a remnant that was faithful to God. But I do want to point something out. The Bible says that in the last days, there will be a great falling away. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah. And when the judgment fell, Noah was the only one left. Whenever I look at this, and as I said, God could come back any day, I look at the world around us and I say, there's still quite a few of us left. But boy, I'm telling you what, it seems like every week I hear of another spiritual giant, so to speak, who has turned his back on Christianity and said, I no longer believe in Christianity. Not necessarily always spiritual giants that I would have looked up to, but ones that the world recognizes. As this, is, this is a spiritual leader. And one after another after another, they're walking away from the faith. And I'm telling you, I believe we're going to see it more and more and more. As the, world, as the church continues to shake hands with the world, I'm telling you what, we're going to become a rare breed. We're going to become a rare breed. But you know what we've got to do? Noah stood out there by that ark and preached 
and preached and preached right up till the day God put him in the ark. He said, I ain't quitting, not stopping. I'm telling you, if you get on the ark, God will save you. And until the trumpet sounds or we go to the grave, it's what God has called us to do. Keep telling the world, telling the world there is a Savior who can make a difference. So hopefully that was a blessing to you. Genesis chapter number 6. And uh, seems like I went too long. Maybe I need my notes to ring me in, right? <laughs> Keep even going too long. But uh, anyway, thank you all for being here. So at this time we'll go ahead and close in a season.